We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today is January the 3rd, 2022, and it's a great day to have a day here on the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet, folks. We got a packed show for you here on this Monday. First things first. We're talking business, some business updates for you, including initiatives within the Big Cock Club, as well as expansion plans in 2022 for the Spurs Up show. Some things I want to make you guys aware of. It's a news that I'm really excited to share. Also, of course, as is tradition at the beginning of each new year, I talk about the top five things I'm looking forward to in the 2022 calendar year, which span across all Gamecock sports. Can't wait to get into that. Also, of course, your listener questions. And we have a great conversation, great throwback interview with former Gamecocks defensive lineman Chaz Sutton, one of the all-time greats in Gamecocks football history in the conversation. I know that you are sure to enjoy, folks. We have got a packed show for you here. Here on this Monday, and of course, as always, it's brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, for all your movie needs in the new calendar year, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, UpstateMoversGroup.com. That's UpstateMoversGroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. than consolation games and consolation brackets when it comes to NFL fantasy football. As we get going here, I just got a notification on my phone that Debo Samuel has just scored a touchdown for my fantasy team. And that would be great news, except I missed the playoffs like two or three weeks ago. And I'm just sitting here thinking, like, in what fantasy league are people getting paid out for consolation games or consolation brackets or like winning the consolation 
championship. Like, where does that exist? I don't know. Either way, guys, again, happy Monday. Appreciate you all tuning in. Thank you all so much for your continued love and support. And if you did not tune in to the podcast that we dropped over the weekend, and this is the first time you've heard from yours truly, happy new year to you. I hope you had a very safe and happy New Year's Eve. Hopefully by now you're getting over the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day hangover, if you will. Hopefully you watch some good football because certainly there was a lot of it on. And again, I'm very excited to chat with each and every single one of you. Also, in case you didn't notice, new intro, who this? You know, I believe in and I'm a very big routine guy, right? Like I love my routine. I, I, I very much so believe in having a routine. But I also believe in every now and then not changing for the sake of changing. But I think it's very good to shock the senses, if you will, and remind yourself that we do have the ability to adapt and improve. And if you're not willing to change, you can never improve. So again, guys, everything we do here, of course, is for you, the end consumer, the listener, the supporter, the fan, if you will. And I'm always trying to evolve and grow and enhance and improve the content each and every single time we get behind the camera, each and every single time we get behind the mic. So again, you guys give me some feedback and let me know what you think on the new intro, if you will. But again, guys, appreciate you all tuning in. Very excited. The first Monday of 2022, by the way. Let's make it a kick-ass Monday and a kick-ass week, shall we? And we got one hell of an episode, one hell of a podcast for you all here in this Monday. But again, hope you had a fantastic New Year's Eve. You know, I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, you know, I was asked by a couple of people, hey, are you are you sad that football season is over? Because, of course, the Gamecocks played on Thursday in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. We talked about it a lot last week. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to continue to touch on that and everything else this week as well. But, uh, you know, I got to admit, it was really nice over this past weekend to stop and slow down and, again, reflect on 2021 and look ahead to 2022. And I told you guys that on the Saturday show that dropped, and I kind of voiced that on social media, that New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, uh, you know, just in case you're wondering, has really changed for yours truly. You know, I used to be the person that was going to every single New Year's Eve party, and you go out and you get crazy, and you wake up New Year's Day hungover as all hell. And that was how you started the new year. But I want to say again, thank you to you all for your continued love and support and you guys rocking and rolling with the show and the content and the business and tuning in each and every single day. Because what you guys have effectively done is you have made it for me where I enjoy even more so just taking things slow, having a low key night and taking a moment to reflect and look back at all that we accomplished, whether it be via the podcast the Daily Crow, social media, merchandise, just the growth across all channels. And I like to take that time as well, you know, on New Year's Day, and I did this on Sunday, yesterday as well, to set goals and, and look ahead and, and, you know, look at different things and look at here's how we can expand. Here's how we can grow. Here's what we are doing. Here's, here's our visions. Here's our, you know, manifesting, speaking into existence of what we want to do. So again, guys, again, I just say thank you to you all because without your love and support and you guys running the numbers up like crazy, you know, I, I don't know that I would be compelled to do those things. And that is only a positive when it comes to the business and the growth of the business, which in, you know, directly ties into the growth of the content and the evolution of the content. Because as the business grows, the content gets better. Everything within TSUS gets better. So again, guys, thank you all so much. Again, happy 2022. Happy New Year to each and every single one of you. And I hope you had a fantastic weekend. 
and excited to be chatting with you. With that being said, guys, on that note, as I said in the intro, we're starting off this show a little bit differently today. You know, obviously, again, I've built this brand and this business off being transparent with each and every single one of you and sharing good news when it occurs with each and every single one of you as well. And that's exactly what I'm going to do today because we are doing some business updates. I'm letting you guys in on some business updates in regards to kicking off the new year. Uh, First things first, really quickly, I already posted on social media, but anyone out there who maybe owns a small business, owns a business in general, is involved in a business, knows someone with a business, we are taking on new sponsors, partners, and investors to kick off 2022. So again, we're always looking to expand, always looking to grow. If you or someone else you know is interested, email the Spurs Up Show at gmail.com. Again, that's the Spurs Up Show at gmail.com. And again, please, serious inquiries only. But again, excited to announce we are going to be expanding all throughout this 2022 calendar year. Now, with that being said, because that's a given. Let's move in these big cock club initiatives and some things that I want to make you aware of, okay? Now, I haven't talked about the big cock club a ton on this podcast, and it was something that I was really excited about when we launched it over the summer uh, of 2020. And I'm still very excited about it right now. It's been awesome building out the big cock club community through our private discord, through all of our private posts and exclusive content on Patreon, all that good stuff. Now, if you did not know, we're still taking members. You can still join the big cock club and we have reached a certain point, believe it or not on Patreon, where we are now able to accept annual memberships, which is really, really cool. When you first start out, you can't do that. When I first opened up the big cock club, we did not have that capability. Now that we've grown to a certain point, we've posted a certain amount of content, if you will, we have the ability to offer annual memberships. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you want to join the Big Cock Club, when you buy an annual membership through Patreon, you get 10% off the total. So again, if it's something you know you're going to want to be on board long term, you can get some money off in the process. And again, guys, there's still a ton of offerings on the Big Cock Club and even more to come because that leads me into this. Now, this is a bit of a change-up in regards to the way that we operate content-wise and business-wise. And here's the big news. Now, as you all know, interviews have always been a very, very big part of the Spurs Up show and everything we do. And I, I could argue, you know, honestly, guys, it, it's, it's one of, if not my favorite parts of what I do. And I, I've done so many interviews, hundreds of interviews with some of the greatest Gamecocks to ever wear the garnet and black in their respective sports and some of the greatest media personalities that are currently covering college athletics or athletics in general as we speak. And throughout football season, because of scheduling difficulties and just everybody being busy, and also because there were tons of interviews that I would get requested for that you guys had obviously not heard because they were released in 2018, 2019, and the business had tripled or quadrupled in size since then. So many of you weren't listening way back in 2019, right? So I've been posting a lot of these throwback conversations, throwback interviews. Heck, we've got one today with former Gamecocks defensive lineman Chaz Sutton, which is a legendary conversation in its own right. With that being said, moving forward, we're still going to be throwing up throwback interviews every now and then. But unique and new interviews, if you will, new, fresh interviews are coming back to the podcast. However, 
Those will be behind the Big Cock Club Patreon wall. And the reason for that is this, okay? The reason for that is this. It takes a lot of time and effort and energy to get these interviews. And through the Big Cock Club and its growth and expansion, we are going to be able to not only get more interviews, not only get better interviews, but be able to go remote on location, get people to come into the city on location and be in studio. So it's going to enhance the quality of said interviews. But with that being said, for example, we're going to have Brad Lawing coming on the show this week. His conversation will drop Thursday. It will not be on the normal podcast that is on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast. It will be on the Big Cock Club and will be offered through the Big Cock Club. Now, with that being said, before you guys freak out, listen, if you don't want to join the Big Cock Club, totally fine. We're still going to be promoting the interview, still promoting through clips like we do on social media now, three or four clips from each and every single interview, right? Just pumping out content on social media. But if you want to see the full video, if you want to hear the full conversation, it will be on the Big Cock Club. So again, you'll have to join the Big Cock Club, go through the Patreon, and that's where you'll find those full conversations. Again, guys, any of this stuff, and again, the reason that I'm releasing this and the reason I'm even talking about this on these here airwaves, because I care about you all, and I care about those who consume our content and who support our content and who listen day after day after day. So if you have any questions, any concerns, anything else it might be, please reach out to me directly and let me know. I want to hear from you all. Now, I spoke on Brad Lowing, and that leads me into my next point and next initiative with the Big Cock Club. And this one, guys, was really a no-brainer. Now, we have been at Tin Roof each and every single Wednesday, and we will continue to do so. And I am very excited, very excited to come to you live from Tin Roof five to seven each and every single Wednesday, especially as we navigate through basketball season. And then we're going to get into baseball and it's going to be an absolute blast. And we get back into football. It's going to be awesome. And we've been streaming those conversations, but honestly, we really didn't have to on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all that good stuff. Those live streams will now go behind the big cock club wall. So, for example, Brad Lawing is going to be joining us at Tin Roof on Wednesday. So, if you want to watch his interview live, you want to watch the Tin Roof live stream live, you can, but it will be behind the Big Cock Club wall in our Discord and on our Patreon. Okay, that Brad Lowing conversation will also be shared on the Big Cock Club, like I mentioned, on Thursday. But the Tin Roof live streams, and I don't think this one, you know, it is a big deal, but, you know, it, it's something where I would say 90% of the folks tuning into those anyways are already in the Big Cock Club, so whatever. But if you do want to tune to those guys, and if you can't, guess what? Come out to Tin Roof. We're out at Tin Roof 5 to 7. would love to meet you all in person, but if you want to tune in, you most certainly can. That will be behind the Big Cock Club Patreon wall, if you will. Now, also with the Big Cock Club and the initiative, we're going to be expanding the merchandise line. The only way to get Big Cock Club merchandise is to be a part of the Big Cock Club. We'll be expanding that merchandise. Right now, I have T-shirts, hoodies, long sleeves, hats. I'm going to expand that way beyond what it is. I'm really hitting the gas pedal when it comes to the Big Cock Club because, again, I know 
for a fact, because I've heard from all of you, there is a demand for a premium offering beyond just the day-to-day content. Because the day-to-day content, guys, it's going to continue to rock and roll. We're still going to continue to do our thing. And like I told you guys, in regards to the interviews, I know that might be a shell shock. We're still going to have tons of throwback interviews. Guys, if you don't want to pay for the Big Cock Club and hear the new interviews, we have thousands and thousands of hours of content with interviews we've done with the greatest Gamecocks in school history that you can listen to if you want to scroll back. And again, the reason we're not charging for the throwback interviews is because I'm literally reposting old interviews. I'm not going to charge for content that's already out there. Like I said, throwback and old interviews, those are going to be as normal. Behind the Beak is also returning and is going to be free on our YouTube posting on social media. Okay. Now, with that being said, I feel like there was one more thing and I might be forgetting it. I hope I'm not. Like I said, guys, when it comes to these interviews, The clips are still going to be on social media. We're still going to be promoting the heck out of it on social media. But unique and new interviews, that's the big one. They're going to be behind that big cock club Patreon wall, if you will. And like I said, I feel like there was something else. I'm trying to think, Chris, what is it? What are you forgetting? What are you forgetting? I don't know, guys. If I do remember, if it comes back to my head, I'll, I'll talk about it here in the show or just, you know, voice it on social media. But again, you know, I I do this for um, growth in the business, growth in the business. And again, this is going to help us do bigger and better things and enhance the content. You know, you have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to evolve as a small business. And that is what we're doing here. So again, very exciting times of the Spurs Up show, which also leads me into it's not just initiatives within the Big Cot Club. TSUS itself, guys, I'm very proud to announce Our goals for this year will also be expanding. Again, I don't have a timeline for this, but one of my biggest goals for TSUS, paid contributors and paid employees. If there's anyone out there tuned in who is interested in being a paid contributor, now I'm not saying a $40,000 a year salary, but a paid intern, if you will, paid contributor, if you're interested, email the Spurs Up Show at gmail.com. We're going to be expanding. You guys have probably seen before Cox and Cola to Cocky Chicks, other podcasts adding to our network. We're going to be expanding that as well. Merchandise is going to continue to expand. You know that we're in Rivals in Florence. We're also going to be in other multiple locations across the state of South Carolina, and there will be more to come as well. So again, expansion within the Spurs Up show, expansion within the Big Cock Club. Guys, momentum, positive momentum is through the freaking roof right now. And again, I say thank you to you all for your continued love and support because again, without each and every single one of you, none of this would be possible. Also guys, for those joining the Big Cock Club, one thing I did forget to mention, I don't think this is what I forgot, but something else I forgot to mention, we're going to get to a point where everyone who joins the Big Cock Club is going to at minimum get a free koozie, free sticker, a free thank you care package, if you will, for joining and supporting. So again, guys, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning in regards to the business, our initiatives, and the evolution, truly the evolution of the Spurs Up Show. And guys, like I said, there's been a demand for quite a while now. And and we started to answer that demand last summer when we released the Big Cock Club and we gave you all, we gave people an opportunity to join a premium service, a premium offering, and support. This is what I forgot to say. The Daily Crow, all of the other content, including the Daily Crow, going to be as normal. 
That's not going to change. That's what I forgot to hammer down, by the way. I'm so glad I remembered. In case you're wondering, the Daily Crow is going to continue to operate as normal. All the other content going to continue to operate as normal. Social media, the podcast as you know it, it's going to continue to operate as normal, guys. So again, hey, I don't want you guys to fret and think, oh my gosh, the Spurs Up show is turning into a message board. It's turning into, into some of these paid sites, what have you. It's not. I can assure you it's not. You guys know that I make a sickening amount of content. But we've gotten to a point again where we're getting some really, really high-profile interviews. Guys, I can assure you the next few interviews we got upcoming, they're not just your run-of-the-mill average interviews. These are big-time people that are going to be coming on this show. And to get big-time people, you got to do big-time things. And I really look at the interviews as sort of a bonus part almost of the content that we offer. So again, if you have any questions, if you have any concerns, if you want to reach out to me directly, please do so. Please do so. Because believe it or not, guys, I genuinely care what you all think. I really do. And so that's why I explain everything on the podcast instead of just going on social media and saying, hey, we're doing this now, whatever, and giving no explanation, not being able to voice why we're doing things, what the goals are within the Spurs Up show in the Big Cock Club, and why it's a benefit to the business and our growth potential and our, and our, and our goals for 2022 and beyond as well. So again, if you have any questions, concerns, anything else, please do not hesitate to reach out. I mean, again, guys, I thank you all sincerely for your understanding, for rolling with the punches. And again, Everything that's happening right now, guys, the positive momentum, TSUS to the freaking moon, man. I, I hey, this is going to help with merchandise, help with content, help with interviews, help with social media, help with everything that you see and consume on a daily basis. So, again, thank you all so much for your love and support. If you have any questions, please let me know. All right. With that being said, let's go ahead and dive in the show and actually talk Gamecocks here. Um, as is tradition, like I said earlier, I love to start the year off and talk about what I'm most looking forward to because we spend, you know, New Year's Eve and, you know, we reflect on what happened. Well, it's only right and it's only fair that we look ahead to what is upcoming. And that's what we're doing today, guys. My top five things that I'm looking forward to in 2022. And again, guys, this all has to do with Gamecocks Athletics. Now, We'll start with number one, and these really aren't ranked like one most important, fifth being least important. They're sort of chronologically ordered, but it's really just kind of random one through five. So I don't want anybody to think, oh, he ranked this one one for this one, this, this reason, this one three for this reason. five. No, it, it's sort of random. But we'll start with one that's actually going on right now. And, you know, I know it was a bit of a shock last Thursday after the Gamecocks won the Dukes Mayo Bowl. Not what happened in football in the gridiron, but what happened on the hardwood with the Lady Gamecocks and with the fams. The fams were left in disarray. But I have no fear, guys, because number one on the top five things I'm looking forward to in 2022 is Dawn Staley's team winning it all. Because I'll tell you what, folks, I'm still as confident as ever that the Lady Gamecocks they're going to get the job done. I think Dawn Staley's crew, they'll get the job done. We all know the pressure's there. We all understand it's national championship robust. We totally get that, right? But I still feel very confident. And, and you know, I believe in karma. You know, I, I really do. I believe in karma. And I think you sort of get what's coming to you. And Dawn Staley's team, 
is going to get what's coming to them. They're going to get back what was rightfully theirs. Because, of course, as we all know, you know, you lose the game to Stanford last year in the Final Four. The year prior, you were number one, and the season gets canceled due to COVID. How the Gamecocks have only won a single national title is baffling. The best program, I'm willing to say it, the best program in women's college basketball, they will return to their rightful place, hoist the trophy, and win the national championship. So, again, guys, the first thing I'm looking forward to, Dawn Staley's team winning it all and hoisting the trophy. The second thing I'm looking forward to in the 2022 calendar year takes us to the diamond. Takes us to the diamond. And this one might surprise some of you all because if you've listened to any of my baseball content and if you've listened closely to who my favorite Gamecocks baseball player of all time is, I'm a Justin Smoke guy, right? Like, I love Justin Smoke. I, I grew up watching him play. I loved watching him play. That's one of the all-time interviews I want to get on the show. I have not gotten Justin Smoke. been trying to figure that out forever. But the second thing I'm looking forward to might surprise you because when you think of Justin Smoke and you think of that 07, those teams he was on, the bashers, right? Murderer's Row, balls flying out of the ballpark. You think of Gamecocks baseball last year all the long balls and the home runs and, and uh, you know, th you think of the culture of baseball now. That's what it's all about, right? The 500-foot home run and throwing 98 miles an hour. But, guys, the second thing that I'm looking forward to in the 2022 calendar year, the return of small ball to Founders Park. And I think inevitably because of that return, the Gamecocks making a deep run in the postseason. Hey, you got close last year, right? You hosted a regional. You can argue whether you should or shouldn't have, but the bottom line is you did. You hosted a regional. You had the pitching. What held you back? You weren't productive enough at the plate due to being, I think, a home runner bust type of mentality. After watching this team in fall scrimmages, and of course, scrimmages are right around the corner in spring, and believe it or not, guys, opening day is right around the corner as well. I think the return to productivity and barrel control and playing station-to-station -station baseball and just having productive hitters on a more consistent basis, I think that's going to pay off major dividends for Mark Kingston's squad. So, again, guys, the second thing I'm looking forward to, the return of small ball, a productive baseball team leading the Yardcocks to a deep postseason run. The third thing I'm looking forward to in the 2022 calendar year, and some of these, I guess you could say, I'm trying to speak things into existence a little bit. But you know what? That's what I'm going to do. Because the third thing I'm looking forward to is the Court Cox, not Dawn Staley's team. We're talking Frank Martin's. The Court Cox making an improbable push for the NCAA tournament. Now, before you say, oh, Chris, come on, what are you talking about? Hey, this team did what it was supposed to do, what it needed to do, I would say. In non-conference play, you went nine and three. Of course, your last game against South Carolina State getting postponed. But for the most part, I think, guys, we, you know, we all said, of course, my good friend Cox by 90, Jeff O'Hara, he went on record many a time and said, you know, if you can go 10 and three or better in non-conference, and I agreed with him, 10 and, 10 and three or better with who you played, especially with the non-conference games such as Georgetown, FSU, and Clemson. If you went 10 and three or better, you succeeded. Now, were there some bad losses to Princeton, to Coastal Carolina, certainly there were. But I think for the most part, I think you did your job. And with SEC play starting tomorrow night, by the way, at home against the Auburn Tigers, 
what do the Gamecocks have to do realistically to make that run to the tournament? Because we all understand what's on the line for Frank Martin, right? We, we all get it. We all get it. As much as you might like Frank Martin, I think most would agree, you know, it's sort of tournament or bust. And if you don't get to the tournament, you got to be really damn close to convince, you know, the higher ups, if you will, that you deserve to be here and that you're the best option for this basketball program moving forward. I say you're looking at nine and nine, probably 500 in conference play. Now, is that doable? It's debatable. But I do think this is a fun team that can shoot the basketball really well. And when they get hot, this is a team I think that can beat anybody. I, I think you will see the game cocks pull an upset or two against teams that maybe you think, oh, they shouldn't have beaten them because they got hot from outside. Shoot or shoot, of course. The question will be, will this group be consistent enough? Only time will tell. But again, the third thing I'm looking forward to, I'm speaking to his existence, the Court Cox making an improbable push for the NCAA tournament, riding the hot shooting, shoot or shoot, if you will. Guys, the fourth thing I'm looking forward to in the 2022 calendar year, and I'm sure many of you sitting there like, Chris, when are you going to talk about the obvious? The obvious being football and the obvious being Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler leading the charge in year two of the Shane Bieber era. And again, of course, guys, like I told you, I'm not ranking these one through five, one being most important, five being least important. They're all just kind of listed randomly, if you will. And after winning the Duke's Mayo Bowl, you know, it's crazy. I got people texting me, you know, I already can't wait for the 2022 season. I'm like, hey, let, let's, let's not skip over baseball, right? But it's a great spot to be in. It's a great spot to be, because like I said, Spencer Rattler leading the charge in year two. So I'm not even just talking about kickoff, guys. Spring practice is going to be insanity. This is going to be the craziest spring practice in Columbia since I would probably argue Steve Spurrier's first year. You know, I, I went to that spring game, by the way. I went to that spring game, his first spring game, in spring of 2005, you know, because he got the job in, what, December of 04. I went to that first spring game in April of 05. And for those who were there, you will recall, there were, what, thirty five to 40,000 people there. The entire lower bowl was full. And I'll never forget the thing that stands out. The first play of the spring game, Savelle Newton, I think it was, play actions, drops back to pass, and we throw it downfield, and everyone in the stands gets on their feet because the excitement level of, oh, my God, we are throwing the football. Oh, my goodness, Steve Spurrier is calling our plays. Like, guys, when that first picture of Spencer Rattler in a Gamecocks uniform drops, I mean, social media is going to lose its collective mind. So the entire 2022 calendar year, we love our basketball. We love our baseball. But we all know that football is king. And Spencer Rattler coming in, taking over, again, after the momentum you built in year one, like we talked about, guys, last week, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find Many teams across college football that have more momentum going into the 2022 season than the Gamecocks do. When you overachieve the way you did in year one of a new head coach, you win your bowl game in the fashion in which you did so, 
and you're adding a player or players like Spencer Rattler and Austin Steiner, Oklahoma, and the recruiting class that you just added, and you're not done in the transfer portal yet. It's a great time to be a Gamecock. And so my fourth thing I'm looking forward to in 2022, of course, Spencer Rattler leading the charge and leading the Gamecocks out that tunnel for year two of the Shane era and a year that has all the potential to be a launching point almost, if you will, for Gamecocks football. Guys, the fifth and final thing that I'm looking forward to in 2022, and is this me speaking it into existence or is this me calling my shot like Babe Ruth did way back in the day? I don't know. I don't know. It's debatable. But the fifth and final thing that I'm looking forward to in this 2022 calendar year is Carolina sweeping the Palmetto rivalry across all of the quote-unquote big three sports. When I say big three, I'm talking baseball, basketball, and football. I know the women's are going to take care of Clemson. I, I, I have no worries there at all because we're just so far at, we're in a different universe than they are. But Carolina sweeping the Palmetto rivalry across the big three sports. At some point, the tide has to turn. At some point, this rivalry has got to flip in the Gamecocks' favor. I think this could be the year, guys. I'm feeling really confident about baseball. Really confident. Basketball, feel pretty good there as well. That game will be at home. And then there's football. Up at their place. But when you got a guy like Spencer Rattler leading the charge and you've got a head coach like Shane Beamer who already overachieved in year one, and what are things looking like up there in Tiger Town with brand new OC, DC? What's the quarterback situation like, guys? Hey, one of the most intriguing storylines going in that game, going into the Palmetto Bowl this year. This will be the first time since 2013 that South Carolina has the better quarterback than their arch rival? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It's possible. So am I speaking into existence, or am I calling my shot? I don't know. That's up for you to decide. But again, the fifth and final thing, looking forward to in the 2022 calendar year, Carolina sweeping the Pemoto rivalry across the big three Sports. So again, guys, that's the top five things that I'm looking forward to in the 2022 calendar here. I would love to hear from you all in the comments. What are you most excited about in 2022? It can be anything. Basketball, football, baseball. Hey, list your top five if your heart so desires. Would love to, again, hear from you, your thoughts on what's going to be most exciting and what you can't wait to see in this 2022 calendar year. All right, with that being said, by the way, let's get into your listener questions because I asked you guys specifically that, what you were most looking forward to, and I'm going to run through these answers really quickly. Ashley through Powell's baseball. Gamecock football updates is Gamecock football going to the national championship. Now, see, guys, I tried to give things that I actually think possibly at least could happen, but I respect it. 
and also just technically Gamecock FB updates. Uh, the national title that wouldn't be until 2023 if we were to get there. Just 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 throwing that out there. Uh, Jay Sappenfield, dual threat quarterback that can elevate the offense to complement the defense. Love that. Ethan Efferidge, baseball in all caps. I hear you, man. Uh, Evan Slane, one, two, three, a full Founders Park. Yes, I almost listed that, Evan. I mean, I could have looked. I could have listed top five things I'm looking forward to for just baseball season. But the Rowdy Roosters once again filling Founders Park for the entirety of the season, dude. I can't even tell you how excited I am for that. Uh, Austin G45 baseball season, the most optimistic football off season in a while. Ecart08 says baseball to go back to Omaha. Been about ten years. It has been a while. Uh, JP Fist 33 says Rattler and Bell. Trent Coker says Rattler and Stogner. Braden 19 says, see how much a good consistent quarterback can change our football team. Indeed. Paul Jones 4 says Rattler. DRU525 says, looking forward to seeing what year two under Beamer will look like. Indeed. Uh, Jackson True Luck Music, watching the movement around the offense using players in different positions. AJ Bauer says, for baseball to make the tournament and for football to compete in the East. Indeed. Uh, let's see. Travis JLB seven says that they play Dak Joyner at quarterback. Hmm. Blake dot or Blaine dot McCormick 20 says women's basketball championship. Indeed. I listed that one. Uh, Lawson tuning going to the sec championship. Shawnington, the Jersey combo. That's gotta be my guy in, in disguise right there. Uh, Gamecock insider, 2022 football and basketball team, Aiden backup baseball, Lawton Cox, two words, Marshawn, Lloyd, Captain Way says Beamer Ball season two is going to kick ass. Indeed. Uh, Jillian Camilleri says Beamer Rattler 2022 season. Withers 228 says Rattler. Uh, Brady Jones Gamecock Baseball. Trapped in my thoughts. A solid foundation starting to be built with our program setting in. J.Gordon.13. Kai Kroger. Shout out to our specialists. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Specialists are people too. Uh, Colson Varnado, I'm excited because if we play to our potential, we could battle for the East, but Georgia's elite, indeed. Jamie Henson, 11, says finally having a solid quarterback, hopefully start every game, no doubt. Uh, Brantley Baldwin says baseball season, and DT Vid underscore, the final one says, simply put, football. I hear you. All those great answers. Again, guys, I want to continue to hear from you. Top five things or just the top things you're looking forward to in the 2022 calendar year from Gamecocks athletics so again folks appreciate you all tuning in that's going to do it all for me again guys like i said i truly do appreciate your love and support guys you guys made 2021 a, a massive success and, and what's so great is every next year is my best year and, and every every year we have every year we look back we say that was our best year and we keep doing that year after year after year we keep growing we keep progressing we keep climbing the mountain year after year after year and it's because of you guys, sincerely, man. So, again, thank you all so much. Appreciate you all. Again, if you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, please do not hesitate and feel free to reach out to me directly. I can take care of any problems, anything you may have, any questions, comments, all that good stuff. Again, guys, thank you all so much. Have a fantastic rest of your Monday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks defensive lineman, Chaz Sutton. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for South Carolina football from 2009 to 2013. He finished his South Carolina career with 76 total tackles, 20 tackles for loss, and nine sacks with also one interception return for a touchdown. Had a brief career in the NFL and is also a published author. I'm very, very pleased to welcome the show, former Gamecocks defensive end, Chaz Sutton. Chaz, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. 
All right, man. Thank you for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So, Chaz, let's kind of go back to the beginning for you. Obviously, a very highly touted recruit out of Savannah, Georgia. I believe you were rated a four-star recruit by most of the major recruiting sites. Um, I know you spent your first year in junior college, but just kind of talk and walk us through what, you know, what made you pick South Carolina? Why did you want to become a Gamecock? Well, um, it's funny because uh, I know um, growing up as a kid, um, I, I remember um, – University of Miami Dynasty, uh, when they had Ken Dorsey, uh, Kellen Winslow, Wellington Gay. So I always wanted to be a hurricane. I was like, man, I want to go to school like that, man. I just, I always like, I, it was just excitement just seeing them guys playing the game with so much passion and everybody was good and their competition it was fierce. So I was like, you know, man, it'd be great to play for a program like that. Um, but once I got into high school and started getting recruited, um, uh, University of Florida, Rutgers, and a lot of other schools were, you know, first to come and offer. But um, I fell in love with Florida in the beginning just because of, you know, just the coach being there, Coach Greg Madison. Um, I believe he's still at uh, University of Michigan. But, um, you know, he just filled me with a lot of insight on how to, you know, play the game or whatever the case may be. And um, once um, I got off about Florida, it was just like, all right, it's no brain. I'm going to commit here. You know, they was – they was riding on the highway by the time they just won a national championship. Um, and they had a lot of talented guys coming through that program. I was like, man, I can go here and, you know, do something special and, you know, possibly play in the NFL. So I was like, man, this is, you know, it's just as good as going to University of Miami. But um, I had an issue in high school where, you know, I didn't want to, you know, basically I just wanted to, you know, do my work and, not make the best grades, but I just wanted to pass, do enough just to pass to get by to keep playing. And um, I didn't understand that until I started getting recruited heavily by a lot of different institutions. And they, they're telling me, hey, we're basing everything off the sliding scale and you're not too far off, but you need work. And if you don't, and if you don't meet that, uh, those standards, then we're either not going to sign you at this time or we're going to send you to a JUCO or we're going to send you to a prep school. So, you know, um, uh, University of Florida, they had a timeline, and um, they just wanted me to meet that timeline. I couldn't meet it. So they ended up, you know, snatching away the scholarship, which hurts. It really hurts, man. Um, like, I'm not afraid to tell that story now. Mm -hmm. I remember going on a official visit there and having a good time um, hanging around, like, guys like Jerry Howard, the Pouncey Twins, Dunlap, you know, mm -hmm. just all the guys that, you know, that's still around playing in the NFL. Um like just seeing all these guys, um, meeting Tebow, it was just great. Um, but um, but that last day before I flew out of Gainesville to head back home to Savannah, um, I sat in the office with Coach Madison and Coach Urban Meyer, and they just was telling me, "Hey, you know, we're not going to sign you this year. We're gonna we're gonna uh, recommend you to go to Hargrave Military Academy, and and hopefully you can get qualified. It wasn't like a set plan there. It was just, hey, we're recommending you to go to this school. You know, Coach Prunty, he's a, uh, you know, he he gets the job done. But you know, but that was just, it was just, it was just here. You can go here. Maybe in the future we can come back and revisit this thing. So it wasn't like a, a for sure plan. But on the flip side of that, I know when I committed to Florida, I had guys like Coach Lauren and Coach Hunt in my like hey man if things don't work out uh, we'd love to have you in Columbia so um they just they just stuck with me the whole time like they I guess they knew from day one like all right man if Florida slipped through the cracks we have a plan and we're going to put the plan in place to get Chaz here 
So that's, you know, that was one of the, you know, bigger blessings there. Cause like once the flood of the thing fell through the cracks, the next day I was on the phone with Coach Lauren and, and um, I think like a few days later I was on a visit and um, uh, I met a guy who was able to sit down and meet with, uh, you know, Eric Norwood, Jasper mm-hmm. Brinkley, Casper and all these different guys. And, and, you know, I just felt comfortable there with those guys, man, just being on that campus. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to give the school a shot, you know, just because of, you know, the coaches, they, you know, they, they stayed loyal through the whole process. They didn't, you know, they, they, they believed in my talent enough to get me there. And, um, you know, the rest is just history, man. Just, you know, just signing there and just going through the process. No doubt. So you mentioned, you know, just going back to you spent 2008 at Fork Union Military Academy. You know, there's been a lot of talk about junior college football. Obviously, the last chance you show, I think it's really shed some light on, you know, I guess what junior college football is like. Just for people that don't know, I mean, how, how would you describe that year at Fork Union Military Academy? Is it, is it anything like the uh, the TV show? Is that a little played up a bit? Or, I mean, what's that experience like? <laughs> oh, man, it's a reality check. I tell you right now, man, it's a reality check. Um, you got guys that, you know, or you got you got guys that leave high school, they might come from they 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 might be in a in a in a in a light where they're that guy, you know, like every like they got the world at their feet at that moment, but you know, you don't do what you you don't do what you need to do to get to, you know, to the to the platform that you need to be at. So when you get when you go to those uh different institutions like the Fork Union or the Pearl Rivers or the or, you know, the uh, the Butler Community College or whatever, you know, JUCOs that are out there, it brings you back to reality, man, because it's not, it's not the same. Um, it's, it's, it's more of a, it's, it's more of lower tiered. Um, like I know for me at Fork Union, man, um, it was military base, so we had to get up every morning at five. When that bugle went off, we had to march to breakfast, we had to do formation, um, it was it was a struggle, man. I remember two weeks into it, man, I cried. Like I was like, I don't want to be here. Like I I knew for a fact I was like, man, I want to go home. And then if I didn't talk to the counselor, I would have gave up football, you know, because I didn't want to be there anymore. But um, I just kept pressing through. Um, it, it taught me a lot of valuable lessons, not to take a lot of things for granted. Um, and the only thing that really took me away from being at Fort Union, we had a lot of away games. So we had travel and just playing football and, and just connected with guys like Zach, uh, Zach Kerr, um, Cody Blue, um, uh, DJ, uh, um, I can't, DJ Cole, uh, Tony Gregory, uh, Deion Miller. Just a lot of different guys that I played with there, man. Um, it was it was special just to, you know, connect with those guys because they took me away from just having the thought of, man, I'm in a school where I got, you know, it's a military school. I didn't picture myself going through that type of, you know, setting or whatnot. Um, it's a lot of pressure, you know. It, it demands a lot of you. But also you just – you still have that, that privilege to play the game of football, which takes you away from it, um, which, you know, it, it helps. But, like, when I left Fort Union, I told myself, you know, that I'm not going to take, you know, this game for granted. I'm going to do whatever I can and also not take school for granted. Like I know uh, my first year at South Carolina, I was able to, I was blessed enough to uh, achieve a uh, SEC academic honor roll. And that was a big achievement for me because growing up, I never made honor roll. Like all, all throughout grade school, I never made honor roll. So just having, just going through that, 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 that setting, uh, it, it, it definitely helped me. It, it, it helped mold me once I got to South Carolina. Like, look, man, you only get one shot. 
And if you you mess up that, then that's no. It might it might not be no coming back. You know, and I've seen a lot of guys, you know, four stars, five stars, great talent. You know, they go to these different institutions and they don't make it out. No doubt. So kind of switching gears, going back a little bit, unrelated question as far as the Gamecocks are concerned. But I know you said you, you know, originally committed to Florida. Obviously, you had somewhat of a relationship with Urban Meyer. And I promise it's not a loaded question, but I'm just genuinely curious mm-hmm. with all the with all the stuff that's happened since then with Urban Meyer, obviously with the situation at Florida and now the situation in Ohio State. I mean, did you – did you ever have any indication that his coaching career would go like that? I mean, was there ever anything in the – because I know I've heard some stories of, you know, recruits going to Florida and, you know, they feel some a certain type of way about Urban Meyer. I mean, again, not a loaded question, just curious to get your, you know, your insight from someone that sat in a room with him. And what, did you ever get any indication he was that type of guy? Or, I mean, did you have any opinions on kind of what's happened with him? Or Well, it's funny that you asked that question. I remember um... – when I went on that visit, um, we, we was at, we went, like, all the recruits was at his house. Um, then, like, all the guys that hosted us, like Jeff Demps, the Pouncey Twins, like, all these great athletes that were there. Um, we we just hanging out, and then uh, it was, like, all the recruits there. Like, uh, I think Julio Jones was on his, uh, on his visit. Um, who else? That was a big name. Frank Hammond, myself. Uh, uh, dang, that's a defensive end name. I can't remember his name. He's out of Alabama, but he ended up going there. I think his name was like William Green or something like that. Um, but it was, uh, you had, uh, I think Jamie Hopper came to that visit. There was a lot of guys that was, that came, um, to that visit, but, uh, but for the most part, man, um, like when we was at the house, I was sitting at the table. Where it was it was me and his other defensive end. I guess it was William Green. Uh, he was a five star, a four star. He had the hype. I had the hype. But you know, um, his name was just a little bit bigger than what my name was. But um, I remember Coach Meyer and Coach Madison came to one of my track meets my junior year, and um, and we was just sitting there talking. And most of the time, he was kind of like he was talking to me, but it was more so like he was just so wrapped around William because they, they felt that William might end up going to, um, I, uh, I felt like they felt like he may go with Coach Saban to Alabama. So they was just trying to, you know, I guess pull him in that direction. But and then um, it was funny because like, you know, he was talking about track and then I was talking about track, but it was kind of like, he wasn't even so much paying attention to what I was saying. He was just more so focused on William. So I was just like, oh, okay, well, let me just be quiet and, you know, do my, do something else. But um, I kind of got the feeling that, you know, he was kind of ignoring what I was saying or whatnot in that instance. But it was funny because, like, soon as uh, it, it was announced that I wasn't going to Florida anymore, they ended up picking up a commitment from him. So I already guess they already had that. That works in the, in the play, you know, throughout that weekend or even before then. So yeah, that, that, that right there – proved to me that it was, you know, some shading that's going on. Absolutely. So let's move into your Gamecock career, Chas. 2009, um, you get on campus, obviously, as a true freshman. Um, suffer a left hamstring injury. Um, we did get the medical red shirt, thankfully. But just kind of talk about, you know, I guess you, you finally, like you said, you spent that year at Fork Union. Obviously, you had to really grind through <clears throat> everything that junior ju- JUCO football entails, and you get on campus and suffer the injury. I mean, how did you stay positive through that? What was the rehab like? And I guess how thankful were you to get the medical red shirt? Well, for me, I didn't want a medical red shirt in the beginning. Like, I didn't. 
like I was just a young kid. Um, like coming from Savannah, like I was just I was larger than Savannah or larger than that that area. So it was like it was it's like a once in a lifetime type thing. So I was thinking that I'm gonna go to Savannah. I mean, I'm gonna go to South Carolina. I'm gonna play. I'm gonna end up becoming freshman All American. I'm gonna do all these great things. I just had a lot of goals in my mind that I wanted to accomplish. And and when I once I got hurt and like I didn't want to go to treatment, I was trying to do things a little different. I didn't understand that you know, hey, now your body is your business, so you got to take care of your body. So it was frustrating going through that that phase. And um and you know we played. Coach Coach Kane approached me many a time saying, hey, I think you just need to go ahead and take a rest. I think you just go ahead and take a rest. Because I played in the NC State game beginning of the year. Um, the next few games, I didn't see any much action at all. I think we played uh, – I want to say we played Thurman that year. Mm-hmm. And I played in one of those – I played uh, some short uh, change time in that, in that game. But other than that, I didn't play much at all. And then I think after we played Kentucky – it was just like, man, Chaz, just go ahead and shut it down for the rest of the year. So I ended up taking the the medical red shirt, and um, you know, and it, it worked out for me. I'm glad I did it because you know it, it helped. It helped me under, it helped me take a step back and understand like, hey, not only were you hurt, but you wasn't ready to play. Like, and I didn't realize that. I just thought I could, you know, the more I you know get out there and experience it, and that's what sometimes that's what you have to do, like. You can only do so much at practice, but in a game setting, you can be okay. You get in that experience, so now you you know what to expect. But you know, for me, it was like I, I knew for a fact after that year. I was like, man, I wasn't ready to play. I I just knew I wasn't ready to play. So you know, that's just me just trying to you know grow up and mature and 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 get the better understanding of what Coach Long was trying to teach me at the time. No doubt. So you mentioned Coach Long. I was going to ask you, you know, obviously you were under Lorenzo Ward, Lorenzo Ward Brad Long, but Coach T. Spurrier, obviously Hall of Fame head coach. Um, just kind of talk about, you know, it's funny. We've had different guys on this podcast that have talked about their relationships with Steve Spurrier. I think it's interesting how those relationships differ, whether you're on offense, defense, special teams, if you're a quarterback, obviously, what have you. But what was your relationship like with uh, with the old ball coach? Uh, it was it was scarce. I would say um, me and him didn't really have a big relationship. And the fact, I think that most of the time uh, with Coach Spurrier, he was, he's, he's kind of like myself. He's world reserved. But um, I would say coach, I got, like, I hate to say it, but Coach Spurrier wasn't like a player's coach. He didn't have like a lot of big relationships with, with guys. Like what I hear from, what I hear from like the parents that are there now with Coach Muschamp, it's night and day from what Coach Spurrier was. Coach Spurrier wasn't like – to me, he wasn't a player's coach at all. You know, like a lot of guys that played offense for him, like I don't know what it was like with Connor or, or, or Steven Garcia or anybody before them, but but for me, myself, and anybody that played defense, like we didn't have like no no, no, no male role model figure uh, per se uh, relationship with him. Like we, we didn't really – like, yeah, he did all these great things, but we didn't look up to him as in, like, man, you know, this is a great guy. And, you know, we want to, you know, emulate what he does as far as life, you know, like uh, life principles or whatever the case may be. You know, don't get me wrong, he was a good coach, but he wasn't, like, just 
hands-on with a lot of the guys. I wish he was like that, but he wasn't, you know. He was just – he was Coach Spurrier, and that was that. Who would you say was the coach that you were closest to? Would you say Lawing, Ward? I mean, which of the coaches was kind of your go-to guy? I would say uh, when I was there, I spent a lot of time with Coach Fitzgerald and Coach uh, Joe Connolly, uh, the strength and conditioning coaches. Um, coach Lawing, he, he did play – he was instrumental in my development there, but for the most part, the strength and conditioning staff, man, they were like, they were, they were like our big brothers or uncles or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like they made sure we were prepared for every Saturday, you know, and they spent time with us. They invited us over to, to their homes. Uh, you know, they invited us to do things with their families and stuff like that. So it was, I'm very thankful for those guys like Craig Fitzgerald and Joe Connolly because Without those guys, I think that, you know, times would have been tough there. You know, like, yeah, the workouts was grueling. Yeah, you know, we had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning or and do all these this crazy things to get our bodies prepared for, you know, for, for game day. But the principles that they instilled in us, um, it helped us in life, especially, you know, like going on jobs now, you know, life after football and things of that nature, man. It it really, you know, it really helped us. It, I really, I, you know, I really thank those guys, you know, because without them, you know, it just wanted to – I don't think it would have it, – maybe it, it would have been some other strength and conditioning staff out there that would have did the same things. But with those guys, I think they really was instrumental in a lot of guys' development at that uh, institution. For sure. So you returned 2010, obviously, for your redshirt freshman season, if you will. Have your first career sack in South Carolina's first game uh, of 2010 against mm-hmm. Southern Miss, and where you guys blow those guys out. And then – uh have one of, I guess, I guess you could say the highlights of your career, definitely one of the early highlights of your career. You had the 56-yard interception return for a touchdown on, it's funny, I was watching the play before we came on, just a freak play where their quarterback tries to just get rid of it, and you happen to be, I would say, in the right place at the right time, take it back for a touchdown. But oh, yeah. you know, more importantly, <laughs> yeah. that yeah, more importantly that season, you're part of the 2010 Gamecocks for the, for the first time ever, win the SEC East, go to the SEC Championship, and again, you're just, you know, a redshirt freshman, you know, only been on campus for a little bit. Just kind of talk about that season overall, I guess, what you learned, you know, about yourself because the first time competing gets SEC competition for an entire season. And also, you know, the Gamecocks, the team making it to Atlanta. I mean, when you got on campus, was that something you sensed that that's the direction the program was going in when you got there? Oh, yeah, man. Um, I tell you what, man, like the 2007 class, they, they kicked it off with everything. Uh that was a great recruiting class. They were, I believe, that was like top five, the top ten in the nation. And then you bring in, you know, guys like Alshon and Stefan and Jarvis and just a, and myself and you know just other guys after that. But 2010, there was a lot of, you know, for us, it, it was a lot of ups and downs. We 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 had some great wins that uh that that year. Um, I believe we had Marcus. Marcus uh played. He, yeah, that was his, uh, yeah, that was his first year. That year. Mm-hmm. That was his freshman year, so yeah, we had some good guys come in. AJ Can that year, so we had some pieces that we we put in the puzzle that that helped us. Um, but it was a lot of ups and downs, man. We had some great wins. Um, we had a close game in Auburn early in that year. Um, man, I broke I broke I actually broke my right hand that year and uh, came back. That, uh, the interception was the first game I played after the um, after the uh, we played Kentucky. So I set out a couple of games after that because I had a broken hand. And the first game I came back was that game and caught an interception and, and took it 50 yards. But it was that year it was just a lot of ups and downs, man. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't expect 
that we will make it that to that that pinnacle in that season. But you know, key games that we won in the East helped us a lot, and um, we was thankful, man. Like we didn't, we was like, all right, man, if this team loses and we went out and do this or do that, then we have a chance. And um, you know, we we set some goals that year, and we was like, man, this is what we want, and and we can get it. We just gotta believe in it and buy in. And um a lot of guys, you know, we just we just had a great we had a great group a group of guys, you know, that were veterans and young, you know, and um we just all came together and said, Hey, we got a chance, we're gonna do this. But it just getting to that pinnacle, it was it was great. Now, obviously you can't talk about that twenty ten season without mentioning the South Carolina Alabama game. I, I think one of the most instrumental games in South Carolina oh, football history yeah, as far as uh <laughs> like really launching the program. I'd say two thousand nine Ole Miss as well was a big one, but two thousand ten Alabama was really when you felt like I, I really feel like you, you knew Steve Spurrier kinda had it rolling, you know, the I think what we saw yeah, follow up was, in twenty eleven, twelve and thirteen. So that sort of got it jump started. I mean, just tell me what you know, I know you didn't record any stats in that game. It sounded like you you'd hurt your hand or whatever, but just kind of talk about what you remember overall from the week leading up, that entire experience, college game day, and then obviously South Carolina getting the win that day. Right. So basically, uh, that that game right there, that I will say you you're absolutely right. That was a turning point for us in that in that season, and you know that that definitely you know was one of the games that put us in in that in that talk. Like, hey, these guys are here. They're for real. Like, they want to compete with the rest of the conference. But um, just that week, man, there was just a lot of talk about, hey, they got all these great players. They got, you know, they, Julio Jones. I think he came off. He, he had the same type of injury I had with a fourth metacarpal bone in his hand or whatnot. And, um, you know, two good, two great running backs, huge offensive line, you know, uh, you know, a quarterback that can manage the game. Defense is just outstanding play. Um for us, it was just man. Let's go. Let's go in this game. Let's give them a fight of their life. You know, we had we had our fans behind us, and that's what we planned on doing. You know, we just went into the game and said, "Hey, we're going to fight them. We're going to fight them to the end." But you know, <laughs> we got into the game. We didn't think that we we will be up by you know a two score lead. You know, and and it just happened that way, man. It was it was a great win for 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 us as a team and also for the community, man. It was it was it was big. It was. That was one. That was one for the books. No doubt. No, I'd 100% agree. So I'm going to get obviously to your huge play against Clemson in 2013, which I'd say is, I think you'd probably agree, one of the biggest highlights of your career. But uh, you know, a lot of it clicks for a lot of different guys, especially when you don't grow up a South Carolina fan. Obviously, you've been in Savannah, Georgia. You talked about you're a big Miami fan. But when did it click for you how big the South Carolina Clemson game was to? you know, not just, I guess, players or the institution, but the fans and just overall in general? I would say my freshman year. Like, when, it was funny. Uh, when I got on campus, they was like, man, we can lose every game. But as long as we beat the upstate team, <laughs> that'll make the season. You know, and I and I was like, wow, like, I want to win every game. I don't want to lose. I remember I came my first two years in high school. We only won one game each year. So I was like, no, I don't want to go back to that. I'd rather win all the games than than just lose. And yeah, it would have been great to beat Clemson, but you know, for me at that time, like I was like, all right, it's just Clemson. Like they're not the you know the the big dog in college football yet. So it was like, hey, let's um, yeah, let's let's win them all and beat Clemson on on top of that, you know. But I, I really understood the importance of that game once I got on campus. 
No doubt. So the 2011 season I thought was a very, very good one for you, obviously. But I think a very interesting happened that year, obviously, that a uh, a, a young, you know, I would say a young uh, protege, if you will, Jadavion Clowney steps on campus. I got to ask you, what was it like to play, you know, across for him? Because you guys turned out to be obviously a dangerous tandem, just harassing quarterbacks your entire career. I mean, what was it like to play with a guy like J.D. Clowney? It was good, man. He was very energetic, uh, freakish of an athlete, man. That guy was just, you know, he was he was blessed. You know, you got a guy that that was just just favorably blessed by God with with tremendous talent. Um, and you know, he just he was he was just always the guy that was upbeat. You know, life for the locker room, life for the practice field. You know, um, and it was it was just great playing with a guy like that, man. Um, just. Just to see him coming in as a you know 17, 18 year old kid and and just understanding like the importance of you know, hey we want to win and, and hey we got a goal here and you know we, we want to bring this thing together so you know because I I mean the whole time I was there our whole goal was just let's win it all man let's get to the you know to the to the, the top of the mountain and and, and claim you know the, the college uh, national championship but you know we always fell short by you know a game or two or whatever the case may be. But um, he was one of the guys that, that we believed in early on when he got there, man, because he was just so talented. It was like he has to play, you know, whether it was third down or whether he was starting. We, we knew that this this kid is going to help us. So, Yeah, no doubt. So I, I want to shift gears a little bit to the 2012 season, obviously, for you. Again, I thought it was a big year. You made a huge jump. Uh, didn't have any sacks in 2011, but – 2012, I think you became a lot more involved in the rabbit package. I know you guys have was more of a situational DM, but you had five sacks in 2012. Obviously, you got better and better mm-hmm. in your South Carolina career. But what would you attribute? You know, what changed for you? I guess what clicked going into that junior season? I would say uh, just just being in the right scenarios. Um, I would say 2011, I was more so of a core special teams guy. Um, I played some, you know, some trash plays here, trash time there, 2011. But it was times where, you know, um, I think I had one start in 2011. But in 2012, that's when coach was like, "Hey, man, we 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 think you'll be valuable here." And I was like, "Man, I'm just I'm just trying to get on the field and play, man. Whatever I got to do to help this team, that's what I'm gonna do." You know, because at those times, at moments, um, at South Carolina, why I had my bitterness about certain scenarios but you know I just was like you know let me just put that aside and just keep getting better and and you know good things are going to come and um 2012 that was a good year for me you say five sacks but <laughs> if you really just look at the film man I should have had at least 13 14 sacks <laughs> man but we're not going to even get on that topic but uh <laughs> but um yeah 2012 was it, it was great man just um uh, just to have that production that year, and uh, it put me it put me in a different uh, light because that's what the fans wanted to see out of me. You know, they wanted to see, man, this guy has tremendous potential. You know, he can he could definitely ball, but he he just needs a chance. He just needs a shot. And uh, 2012, I got that shot, and and uh, you know, I proved him right. I proved a lot of people right. You know, so it was it was great. Just you know, just to be able to go out there and and, and showcase that. How did you handle fan expectations? I think it's interesting. You kind of came up and came through. I, I was in college same time as you where social media is just starting to take off. People are just starting to get Twitter, Instagram accounts. People are starting to have 
you know, opinions on social media. And as we all know now, you know, the, the, the gift and the curse of it is that everybody has a voice, even those who probably shouldn't. Um, right. So, I mean, just kind of talk about, you know, obviously you have internal expectations for yourself, the coaching staff expectations, right. expectations and then fans right. have expectations. I mean, how were you able to juggle all of that? Well, for me, I just ignore, you know, what, what's on the outside, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, people are going to have all kind of expectations for you. They're going to have, you know, sometimes they're realistic. Some most of the time they're unrealistic. So you just got to have, you got to set goals for yourself and you got to be able to achieve those goals on, on your own because, um, you know, people will go out and say, man, Chad should, should be a 20 sack guy each year. But, you know, when we in the heat of a moment or a game or whatnot, and you got, you say, say they, they're game planning for you. They got, yeah, you, you might end up in some one-on-one situations or you might end up, you know, getting chipped every play, you know, it's just, it just don't work out that way. Or, you know, Hey, you know, I know 2013 season where most, most, most teams like, Hey, we're going, we're going to put in a, a system where we, we're going to catch the ball. We're going to get rid of it. Like we're not holding the ball for three and four seconds. We're going to catch it and throw it. That's just what it is. So, um, you know, like a lot of a lot of fans and just a lot of people just always had unrealistic, unrealistic expectations and stuff like that. Even family members, they'll call you and say, hey, man, you should do this or you should do that. I'm like, dude, that, that's not even realistic. People that understand the game, they know when, and and they're more realistic about it. But um, but for the main thing, you just got to know know that you're pleasing yourself because you're going to be always be your worst critic. And um, that's just how it is. You know, you can't, you got to block out everything from the outside because it'll tear you down it definitely will so I think as a player you just gotta set your own personal goals and do them and then you know ask yourself hey did I you know just reevaluate yourself at the end of the week and say hey did I did I did I knock this goal down yes and then if you didn't then hey let me reset let's try it again next week you know that's just how it is no doubt. So, again, kind of switching gears. 2011, we saw a changing in the guard with South Carolina at quarterback. Obviously, we know Steve Spurrier and his, you know, his history of quarterbacks. But the, the, the hand changes from Steven Garcia to Connor Shaw, just talk about because, you know, I've had a, a couple of defensive guys on the show before that, you know, we played with Steven Garcia, played with both Steven Garcia and Connor Shaw, and they talk about each of those guys, the way they were re- able to rally around them, not just guys on offense, but defense, the entire team. Uh, what was your relationship like, if any, with, uh, with Steven Garcia and then Connor Shaw? They was my brothers, man. Like anybody that walked in the locker room when I was there, they was they was family, you know. Um, you know, like with family, you have a, a certain relationship with certain guys. I know when I first got there, me and Steven are, are around the same years. He came out of high school at 07. I came out of 08. So me and him were, were more, you know, relatable to each other. But, um, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, both guys are very different personalities or whatever the case may be. Um, me and Garcia, you know, we went through a period where we had to mature. And and Connor just came in, like, just from day one, lights out, like, hey, I'm, I'm a man on a mission. This is what I'm going to do. And I got a goal in mind. And we, we just knew that Connor was about business when he came in. Not saying that Steven wasn't, but, you know, it was certain things that, that Steven, you know, had to, you know, overcome. And then, you know, a lot of us come in, we all have our issues, uh, you know, as kids growing up. So I, I had my issues as well. But um, I think that uh, with Steve, it was just more so like, hey, I got to, I gotta, you know, fight 
you know, with with all these different expectations that are on my shoulders, but also I got to be able to, you know, perform on Saturdays. If not, then I got somebody jumping down my throat, you know, about the small things that I that I probably that probably wasn't even a big deal. But um, and kind of had those different uh, those same expectations. But I think both guys just handled them differently. But uh, but for the most part, man, they they're both great dudes. Um, I wish them well. I think um. They both had solid careers there. I wish, you know, Steven, you know, could have, you know, finished up the 2011 season and, and went on and did great things. But, you know, sometimes, like I say, you know, you know, misfortune happens. And, you know, we, we all make, you know, mistakes. And, um, but, I, you know, at the same time, he's a great dude. Um, I, you know, he'll, he'll give you the shot at your back. But like I said, these guys, they're like, they're like my brothers, you know, so. I'm always one phone call away from guys if they have any need if they ever need anything from me. No doubt. So, talking about the defensive end position, because I'm curious, Chas, somebody that played at your level, you know, I, I'm just really intrigued to know, you know, when you were playing the position at South Carolina or whenever you're coaching somebody, I mean, what what are you thinking at the line? I mean, are you, are you just thinking I'm about to take this quarterback's head off? Is it is it more technical than that? I mean, what for you in your game? I guess what what were you thinking when you're lined up? Well, as a young Chaz, that's what I was. I was like, man, by any means necessary, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just take somebody's head off. But I know um, once I got to South Carolina and started learning the game of football, I knew that okay, I need to understand what personnel is out there. All right, then ten personnel. That that means ten personnel. There's no tight ends. There's one back in the one running back in the backfield, and everybody's spread out. So I know for a fact. All right, more than likely, this is a pass play. And, you know, that was just – it was just certain scenarios on the field that I would just – I had to look at and be like, okay, all right, this this could be a run play. This could be a pass play. And it, you had to take all that into account because all it takes for one guy to make one mistake on defense and, it and you know, it's a touchdown. So, it just – it's just, you know, you got to take all that into consideration and, and play the game smarter, you know. And um, you don't want to make as many mental errors as – as as possible because the more mental errors you make, the more points you're gonna give up, the more trash yards you're gonna give up, and uh, eventually, you know, you're gonna be on the bench. You know, that's just the way it goes. And um, and for me, I just made sure I, when I went out there, I was always prepared. So when I stepped on that field, I could make plays, but also help my team. You know, reach the common goal. You know, because I know I can't make every tackle, but I can alter the play. Say like they're running the ball at me, I can, you know, seal off the edge and and make them bounce it back inside, and you know somebody else will make the tackle or whatever the case may be. So I just I just always went out there with that mentality that hey I got to play within the scheme so the whole defense can work and as one uh, unit. That's awesome. So the 2012 season again, Chaz, another game similar to the 2010 Bama game. You cannot talk about 2012 without talking about South Carolina, Georgia, Saturday night, college game day is in town, and all you guys do is go out and just pummel. I mean, just pummel Georgia. Just kind of talk about, uh, obviously, I mean, the hype leading in that one was huge. I, I'd say probably as big as any South Carolina game ever that you can ever remember. Just uh, And you obviously had the sack, the highlight that we posted today on Instagram, on social media. Just just talk about what you remember from that night and, and a really fun night for the Gamecocks. Man, that was, I would tell you right now, that was the best game I've experienced in that stadium. The loudest game I've experienced in that stadium. Um, just just playing in that game, man, it, it, 
well, the way we dominated, man, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a surreal moment, man. Just being able to go out there with your, with your, with your brothers and, and do something special like that, man. We, we knew that we wanted to win and we, we, we just, we was like, man, whatever we got to do tonight, that's what we're going to do to win. But we didn't think that we would come out on top that in that, in that manner. But um, once the game started going and it started flowing, like offense was clicking, special teams was clicking, and defense, man, we just was out there like how we usually do. Like we call ourselves the Goon Squad for a reason in 2012 and 2011. Like we was like, man, like we believed in, like we was like we had this all ego. Like, hey, we the Goon Squad. When we go out here, we gonna talk our trash and we gonna play hard nosed defense, and nobody's gonna mess with us. And whoever gets in our way, they gotta deal with it. You know, so and that was that was just one of the highlights of, of my life, just playing in that game. Like I'll be talking about that game till I'm dead in the ground. Like just being able to experience that. Like I still watch, I, I still like watch that game on YouTube, or I still have DVD of that game where I can just put it in and just watch it just from start to finish. And like, man, like this was a crazy night. Just just being able to experience that. It seems like an obvious question, but I mean, was there any moment louder in your career at Williams Bryce than the Ace Sanders punt return for a touchdown? Oh man, that was crazy, man! Like <laughs> he he muffled it, but then when he picked it up, like we always like Ace was just a special type of athlete, man. Like uh, I remember when he first came on campus, and um, it was 2010, and we got to practice and and camp, and man, Ace was just shaking everybody out their cleats out there, and I was like, man, this look this little dude is nice, you know, <laughs> but um, that year, man, he just really took off, man. And he, he just was one of those special type of athletes that don't come around too often. But uh, once he, once he got past that little threshold and he only had the kicker to beat, I was like, man, that's it. He ain't catching him. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was, that was, that was one of the big moments of that game that I was just like, wow, man, we really are just putting a hurting on these guys. Cause I think once he uh, scored that, we we was up twenty one nothing at that time. Mm, yeah, so yeah, it was nice. No doubt. So the twenty twelve Clemson game is one I want to talk about. Obviously, the fourth straight win over Clemson you guys had, and um, you had a light night there, a tackle for that one. But I want to talk. I mean, your 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 counterpart, Jadavion Clowney, four and a half sacks in that game, which I'm be- I believe if I remember correctly is the most in for a South Carolina player in a single game in the history of the school. Four and a mm. half total sacks. I mean, just talk mm-hmm. about what it was like playing beside him that night. Because, I mean, again, the most ever in school history in a single game. And, I mean, a guy that you talked about earlier, you knew had talent. I mean, we all know that he had talent, but absolutely dominated Clemson that night. Obviously made the proclamation later. He said, as long as I'm here, we're never never losing to Clemson. I mean, what was it like just playing beside him that night? Did, did you feel like he stole a couple of sacks from you maybe? Oh, man, he. I know he stole <laughs> one from uh... – <laughs> From Byron and Devin that night, but uh, but he was on fire, man. He just he had some fire in his eyes that night, and he just went out and did his job, man. You know, like coaches, Coach Long's like, hey, man, we we here to get after the quarterback, and that's what we that's what we're here to do. And he went out and did that, man. But like I said before, man, he's just a tremendous athlete, and um, that tackle just couldn't block him that night, man. Um, <laughs> he just I, a lot of people couldn't block him that year, and even in that next next year when um. <laughs> When they, I seen guys that that put a tight end in position, that put a running back to the side, and 
it was just crazy. But like just that night in general, man, he just was he was a man on a mission, man. It was just it was special seeing him doing that. That had to be very fun for you as a defensive player when you saw how much attention and obviously deservedly so they were giving Jadavion Clowney, but that had to be very fun for you when that happened to know that you all right, I'm I'm pretty much getting a one on one matchup right here. Oh yeah, oh yeah, most definitely, man. Like when you when you go into certain games and you knew that, especially that year, for example, man, like because it was like, all right, he's a sophomore, the rest of us are juniors and uh, are seniors. Like it was like he had hype around him, but it wasn't the type of hype that that we had the following year, where you know, like people was just like, all right, we just gonna he, he's a sophomore, we just gonna block him. But you know, it, it helped us. It helped the. It, it helped in the scheme because, like, most of the times, more times than ever, they were like, all right, this guy, he's giving us trouble on the edge. All right, we're going to pay attention to him. Then you got me and Aldrick in the middle doing our thing on third down, and then you got Devin on the outside. So it it opened, it opened up a lot for the rest of us uh, to make plays, um, which was which was a cool thing. Um, but I think uh, that year we just had a, a group of four that can rush the quarterback that, and then we all worked as – as one as a unit so that it really it really uh made a big difference yeah I would say so I'm just thinking back I mean you played with the guys I mean obviously yourself Kelsey Quarles Melvin Ingram Jadavion Clowney Travian Robertson way back in the early days I mean I mean if you had to pick one which would you say was the best defense you played on out of all the South Carolina defenses because I mean again you look back at some of the lineups and I mean it's like 10 out of 11 guys in in the NFL or at Mm -hmm. some point we're in the league I mean it's it's crazy how good those defenses were. They they were. I mean, if you had to pick one, which would you say was the best? I would say 2012. I would definitely say 2012. Like out of 2012, that whole defense. Uh, you got guys like Jimmy Legree, Victor Hampton, DJ Swearinger, uh, Bryson Williams, and uh, I mean Bryson Williams. Uh, you got uh, Reggie Bowen, Shaq Wilson. Uh, Devontae Holloman, uh, you got myself, Jared O'Devin, Clowney, Aldrich. I, I think everybody had a, a shot at, you know, at the NFL. Like, you had NFL talent on that defense all the way across the board. And then you had guys that was behind us just as talented as well. So, oh, man, it was like we was loaded that year. Like, we definitely were loaded. We had a mature defense. Um, and we played with a passion that year, man. Like, we wanted to go to the national championship. That was our goal. And you know the two games that we that we fell short in, like uh, the LSU game, I think it was a couple of plays here. It was like a few plays where that game could have changed and we could have won that game. And then we go into uh, we go into the swamp that year, the Florida. And you look at the you look at the story of the game, like you look at the score. The score doesn't tell the story of the game. They only had 90 yards of overall offense that whole game. The defense really shut them out. But we, you know, the offense couldn't get going special team sucked that day it was just you know they 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 took advantage of our mistakes that, that game we really beat ourselves that game um so when you look at that we should have had an undefeated season so um like 2012 was special man we had a, we had a, a top tier defense and, and we believed that and we went into every stadium even our stadium man, and we knew that like and nobody can't mess with us for sure. So you talk a lot about, you know, the goon squad, the passion you play with. I'm sure you'll recall the play, but, I, you know, I was watching, again, some of your highlights, 2013 Vanderbilt. I remember specifically 
was watching the highlight. You get a sack, do kind of a little shimmy after the play. Your guy yourself played with a lot of passion. Just, you know, sort of talk about, you know, where that stemmed from you. Is it kind of growing up, you always had that fire and intensity on the field, or was that something you got when you got to South Carolina? Well, when I was when I was in high school, I just played. Like, I was just out-athleting everybody. But, like, once I got to South Carolina, man, I played with guys like Shaq, DJ, uh, you know, Eric, um, uh, Darian Stewart, uh, you know, just being around a lot of different guys that, that you know, helped, like, instill in me, like, hey, man, you know, when you play in this game, you got to play with a certain attitude. Like, even, like, with Melvin. I mean, you know, Melvin, when I first got there with Melvin Ingram, Melvin was like almost 300 pounds. And it was funny because he was playing linebacker when he first got there. And uh, they moved him to deep, deep as a tackle. They changed his number. He was just uh, – like, he was going through his little cri- – his uh, mid-college crisis as well. And uh, and just, you know, me and him kind of at the same time went over, you know, certain hurdles in that moment when we was playing there. But uh, – just being around those different guys, man, they, they really helped shape me into, uh, you know, the person I was on the field. Like, I went out there with an alter ego, and I was just like, man, it's it's, uh, it's it's time to play ball. Like, I remember, like, every time – by 2011, every time I ran out that smoke, when, when we when we ran on the field, I just threw up Ws. And uh, I know uh, people always ask me, like, why I get the name I uh, Chaz Wash from. People – it started in high school. So, um People always just called me Chaz Wise, and then it carried over into college. And then when I went out there, I was just – when I got on that field, I was Chaz Wise. Like, I was just going out there to just wreck whatever that was in front of me. And then when I ran through the smoke, I always threw up the W uh, symbolizing Wise or whatnot. Because that's what people just called me Wise for short. But it was uh, it was cool just, you know, just to have that moment. Because it's like – it took – like, being out there on that field, it took you away from everything. Like, school, girlfriends. um just anything in life that was just bothering you, you know, you just was able to go out there and just play and, and live free, you know, and that was, and that's what it was. It was like a sanctuary, you know, how some people go to church and they get that, they want to get that, that solitude or whatnot. And that's what we got that in the game of football. For sure. So I, I want to get to the 2013 season, you know, selfishly, probably my favorite play of your entire career, Chaz, is a play that I know a lot of South Carolina fans look back to. And I just really feel like signified South Carolina's success over Clemson and the five-game winning streak, and that was your play in that game. I know you, I know, you know what I'm talking about, the the play where, you know, you simply put – just ripped the ball straight out of Taj Boyd's hand, and it looked like a play where you simply just wanted it more than he did. Um, I know he thought he was down, but you look at the replay, obviously easily was not on the ground yet. And, again, I just like you wanted the ball more than him, straight up took it away. I mean – what do you remember from that night as a whole, obviously beating Clemson five times in a row? It's senior night for you and and then mm-hmm. that play specifically. Right. Man, it was a bittersweet moment, man. I remember before that game, like, just running out. And um, they announced all the guys. I ran out, seeing my mom and my brother. I ran right into their arms and started crying. Because I was like, man, like, I'm not, this is going to be my last time ever doing this. And, like, I'm not a big – emotional person but I got emotional in that moment because it was just it was just one of those moments that I was like man I'll never have this moment ever again like this is my last time doing this so it was bittersweet and um, when we got into the course of the game you know it was a fight like we 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 fought with Clemson like um, 2013 uh, defense wasn't 
the same as 2012. Like, we had a lot of young guys. Like, we had a whole new linebacking core that year. Um, secondary was a little bit different. We had veteran play, but secondary was still different. Even in the defensive line uh, group, um, the only veterans we really had was me, Kelsey, and um, and Jadavian. But, um, but at the same time, uh, you know, Kelsey and Jadavian were still young guys. You know, they still had some maturing to do within the game itself. And I was like the more so season best. So I was like the big brother in the room. So I had to, you know, more so, you know, tether those guys to, you know, the standard of, hey, man, let's keep it in this direction or whatever the case may be. Um, and then also we had a we had a new we was on a new direction of uh, Coach Deke Adams that year as well. So it was a lot different for us that uh, year. But uh, that game that night, man, um, I remember that play exactly. Uh, we ran the zone pressure. Um, I dropped back into coverage. Um, they had a guy dragging across the field. I was like, he's gonna throw this ball and intercept it. But he saw me and he was like, Nah, I'm not throwing this ball. I'm just gonna run for the first down. So. He took off running. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go make the tackle. But once I, you know, wrapped up and he was just exposed and vulnerable, I was like, man, I'm going to grab the ball and see if I can get it out. But once I had grabbed, it, had a good grasp of the football, I was like, oh, I'm taking this ball. And, you know, I ended up taking it. And then I was like, South Carolina football. And I was like, oh, snap, we got the football. And if they would have scored that, if they would have scored in that moment, that would have bought, that would have put them back in the game. And you know we'd have we 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 probably would have ended up going into overtime, or you know we probably wouldn't have had that chance to win five games in a row against Clemson. So, with me doing that late in the game, that that helped solidify the win for us. Yeah, no doubt. I was gonna say I remember it was uh, eight minutes left. They were driving. If they would have scored on that, it would have tied the game actually twenty four twenty four. So I mean that was without a doubt one of the biggest plays in that game. Um, Chaz. Was Taj Boyd scared of you guys? I know Jadavion Clowney had the comment. I remember – I forgot to ask you about this, though. In 2011, he had the tweet calling the South Carolina defensive line average. I know that was, an, that was a night that uh, Melvin Ingram kind of went off on him. Jadavion Clowney, I know yourself. I mean, was, just simply put, was Taj Boyd scared of you guys? Oh, man. <laughs> I think <laughs> – I think uh... – a lot of uh, quarterbacks, they, you know, they feared us because, you know, they knew the type of intensity we played with. They knew that we were, we were great athletes, you know, like I came from high school playing running back. I was, a, you know, I was a good athlete, Jadavia, you know, he, uh, you know, good athlete coming out of high school, played running back many positions, uh, Melvin, same thing, you know, he played it all. Like he, he could, Melvin could literally play any position on the football field. Devin, you know, he was one of those guys. Um, but for the most part, man, I think that, you know, with him, I can't really necessarily say he feared us, but he knew he he knew that what we brought to the table when they when they stepped on the field with us. Um, but uh, I would say, um, like just playing against him, he he was aware of the talent that was around him, and he knew that hey, my offensive lineman ain't gonna be able to block these guys all night. No doubt. I guess I was gonna ask, you know, obviously Taj Boy being one, but I mean, were there other quarterbacks that you guys played against that? Before you even got in the game, you knew that, like, we can get this guy and we can rattle him and we're going to just completely change the course of this game. Because, I mean, you know, obviously you look at Aaron Murray 2012, and I think, oh, he, even had, I think he even had a comment Aaron. after the game saying, who wouldn't be scared of this guy, you know, talking about clowning and just talking about the whole D-line. But, I mean, right. can you name other quarterbacks where it's like you just knew, even before you stepped in the field, like we're going to be in this dude's head all night? 
Right. Aaron Murray, no doubt. Like, Aaron Murray, he was one of those guys, no doubt, that we knew for a fact, like, all right, we're going to go after this guy. You know, like, anybody that had a big name, we was gunning for him. Like, you know, like the Aaron Murray, the Taj Boyd, um, who else was out there? Um, uh, the guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jonathan Franklin from Missouri. Um, we, we was just gunning for these guys. Like, we was like, man, we're not going to back down. We're going to go at them and let them know, hey, man, we're here. And you got to deal with us. And um, it, they they knew. They knew once they got on the field. And we always made them into saying things. And then that just that just triggered us more. And we played harder from that. That's what we fed off of, you know. And once, once some guys stepped on that field and they understood what they was up against, man, they was like, man, these guys are crazy, like. We got to play. Like, these guys, are, they're, they're, they're for real. You know? So no it, was, it, was always, it was always cool to, you know, to live in that moment. For sure. So, 2014, you guys in the season – or 2013, in the 2013 season in the uh, the New Year's Day bowl game beating Wisconsin, you're part of, Chaz, the winningest senior class in South Carolina football history with 42 total wins. I know you said it was bittersweet, obviously, the Clemson game. I know Wisconsin was probably bittersweet as well. I mean, just knowing it was your last time putting on the garnet and black. But, I mean, when you look back, and, again, you're recognized as you're part of the winningest senior class in South Carolina history, what does that mean to you? Oh, man, it's special, man. It's special. Um, like I said, I came from uh, a high school that we didn't – we really didn't win much until my senior year. Uh, my senior year, we went 9-1. and one, um, But – other than that, like we didn't win much. So when I got to South Carolina, they were like they was just just trying to turn that corner with Coach Spurrier, and um and I was able to be a part of that because I remember we talked about that during recruiting, and um they was like man you could be a part of something special here you know and I was able to be a captain that year, um just be a leader of the defense and also be able to go out on top as you know a team that went eleven and two, three years in a row you know and um it was it was special man it was a surreal moment. And, you know, that's just something that we can, you know, tell our kids about, you know, when they get older. For sure. So I want to jump to your NFL career, obviously. You're a guy that bounced around a little bit from Tampa Bay to Washington, Tennessee. Um, I know things probably didn't go exactly the way you wanted to, but, I mean, just kind of talk about your NFL experience in general when you look back on it. I mean, what do you take away from it? Oh, man. Uh, It was stressful, man. It was really stressful. Uh, it, it definitely turns into a job more so than like college. I had fun. NFL, it was more so, Hey, this is my livelihood. I walk into a building every day with a lot of uncertainties. Uh, I know preseason of college, uh, my last year, I was projected as a, a first round pick in, in, in some, in some, uh, in some viewers eyes. And, uh, and then, you know, the season goes on have a foot injury here, you know, not not having the, the best season possible, you know, I, my, I myself. I think the person that really stood out that year on the defensive lineman was Kelsey Corals. Um, he had – I think he had 10 sacks that year. But, yeah. um, you know, uh, but for the most part, man, um, it just didn't go – it just didn't go so well. And um, I wasn't able to play in any uh, all-star games. But when I got – when I got to the NFL, um, when I got my opportunity, it was just me just trying to – it's, it's it's basically a transition point, um, and if you don't if you don't have it right then and there, especially coming in as a free agent or a later round pick, man, um, you only get so many chances. But if you're a first round, first or third round pick, you know they're gonna 
they're going to develop you because they don't invest, you know, they don't put a, they don't invest a good penny in, into you. So it just only makes sense. Um, I know um, my first year, it, it was, it was one of those moments where, you know, I was like, Hey, do I have it? Do I want to still do it? And, you know, I, I it was one of those things where I had to, you know, jump them, jump them type of hurdles and then keep on moving. And then the, the following year, my second year, um, it was almost basically the same thing, but um, I, I had I had a more promising future with the Titans. But uh, once they went through the draft and got some younger guys in there, and and it it, it kind of you know things kind of changed a little bit in uh, in the business of of the NFL is it's very grueling. Like a lot of people don't understand that. And um, once you're in there you could be one of the better guys on the team or one of the better guys at your position, but sometimes you got coaches that draft guys because they might have, you know, have a relationship with their coaches in college or, or they might have coached this guy or recruited this guy, um, you know, when they were, when they were like, when in high school, it's, it's all kind of different things that, that comes into play. So, um, you know, NFL is very political people don't realize that it's very, very political. Like you have a lot of guys with tremendous talent that, that are not even playing right now. And you got a lot of guys that are in the in the NFL that you just like, man, like I'm trying to figure out how this guy stayed around for so many years, you know, whether it be practice squad or whether it be, you know, them being a core special teams player. But then you have guys that are really, you know, they're very special, they're, you know, special breed. But for the most part, man, it's, it's a political league and, um, if you have the right people in your corner, sky's the limit. But if you don't, then, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where you might just fizzle out. And I think that what happened in my in my case, like I got there, had some promising moments, and then things just kind of fizzled. And I never was able to get back to that pinnacle. And I just had to move on. I just had to tell myself, hey, man, there's more to life than football, and I can't play this game forever. So let's, you know, explore other options. For sure. So I want to move, obviously, your life after football, Chess. Something, I mean, this is something I literally just learned about you, and I mentioned earlier in the show. You are a published author, though, I believe. Correct me on the date, but I believe it was last year at some point you published a children's book, your first children's book titled My Dad and Me, Boys Day Out. Just kind of talk about that book. I know you dedicated it to, his, to your son and your father, um, but just talk about that book, My Dad and Me, Boys Day Out. Oh, man, it was a project that I was working on for about a year and a half. Um, I was going through a tough time, you know, um, just, you know, being a new dad and um, just making the transition, life after football and everything like that, and then also dealing with, you know, not having the best relationship with my son's mother. And um, I was, you know, I had some, I won't say bitterness, but I had, I had some, 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 so I had to channel some anger inside of me and me writing that book, uh, helped that, you know, like me putting that book out and, and just, you know, working on that project and, and, and seeing it through, it was, it was, it, it really, you know, it took that negative that I had within me and turned it into a positive. And that's something that I'm proud of, you know, and that's something that he can grow up one day and like, wow, like my dad, you know, did this for me and he did it for, you know, other men out there that, that are, you know, going through some of the similar situations that I experienced, you know, as a, you know, a young adult, but, um, it, it was, you know, that book is, it's, you know, it's special. And, um, 
hopefully, you know, I can be able to do more in the near future. For sure. Yeah. I know you, you had talked about in the article I read, you're possibly writing a sequel. I know one guy you spoke to about the, uh, the entire process is Langston Moore and Preston Thorne guys that have uh, Langston's been on this podcast before. They're obviously very well known for the just a chicken book, which I think they've done a great mm-hmm. job with, but just kind of talk about just oh, what yeah. was, uh, what was some of the advice that those guys gave you when you were going through the process? Oh man, just, you know, just, just protecting yourself, you know, uh, making sure you got, you know, you, you cross your T's and dot the I's, man, and uh, make sure you uh, got the right people on your side and when you're doing it because, you know, you got copyright in the fringes, you got people that, you know, might come out to get you and sue you. And it's like, it's, but, you know, for me, like I, like I knew that this book was something that I wanted to do. It was special. Um, I wanted to get it out there for the world to see. I think I grabbed a lot of attention from a lot of different folks with it, um, which is great. Um, it's like for me, like a lot of people are like, hey man, how much did you make off the book? I'm like, I ain't, you know, for me, I didn't make nothing yet, like, like zero. So, you know, it was just me just putting out the book and getting it done. Um, it'd have been great, you know, to become a best-selling author, but you know that, you know, writing books, you know, Preston always told me um, uh, that, uh, no, Langston, not uh, Preston, but Langston, he told me, he was like, uh, man, look, you know, you write this book, man, it's going, you know, it's a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So you got to run the marathon. Like, don't think that you're going to get rich quick by writing a book. And I was like, no, I don't think that, you know, I just think that it is something that I wanted to do. And, you know, if, if I, if it did take off in that manner, great. But if not, then, Hey, it's something I did. And then I can build on it and, and learn from that experience. Absolutely. No doubt. So I want to go back. You talked a little bit about, you know, you mentioned before what, I guess, what Will Muschamp is building, kind of his relationship with uh, him being a player's coach, if we, if you will. When you take a look at the program now, you know, what are your impressions of head coach Will Muschamp, kind of his entire staff, you know, how he's done the job he's done there so far and what he's building at South Carolina? I think he's doing a fine job, man. I, um, you look at his track record, man. He, uh, when he left Florida, I think, the only thing Florida was missing was offense. Like they had a great defense. They had great guys. They had good guys all over. They had great talent all across the board. I just think that they just couldn't get anything going on offense. Um, but you know, here at there at South Carolina, I think that he's on the right you know path. He's a man on the mission. Uh, I think he's going to get the job done. Um, we when you, you kind of compare him and Coach Spurrier, track record is almost similar. You know, Coach Spurrier didn't right out the gate have success there. You know, uh, he took over a program that was, that was failing, you know, and um, he had to, you know, come and rebuild it. And that's the same thing that Muschamp had to do. Uh, you know, like when Coach Furrier left, I think they only had, what, three games? They won three games that year, something like that. Mm. Um, so, you know, he had to come in and, and, and kind of, you know, revamp the program a little bit. Um, I know a lot of people projected him to do, this or that, you know, in certain years, I'm like, man, he's, he's a seat of those challenges. I know a year, uh, I want to say 2017 season, they um, projected South Carolina not even go to a bowl game and he went to the Outback Bowl. So it's just one of those, you know, one of those things that that coach has potential to, you know, to do great things at that, that program. And I think that, you know, the athletic department are going to get give him all the necessary resources to do that. So, I think he's on to something big there. 
Yeah, and I, know, and I know he's done a lot better job as far as staying connected with alumni, former players, guys like yourself. Has that been something? Have you been able to stay connected to the program? I know you're a guy that we followed on social media, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, for a long time, and I always love your posts. I remember uh, last year you put the post, simply fuck them, for the Clemson game, which I, I think everybody mm-hmm. loved that. But uh, how much have you been able to stay in touch with the program, and have you been able to get back on campus? Do you, do you still catch any South Carolina games from time to time? Well, yeah, um, I try to at least uh, catch a game uh, once a year. But uh, for me, um, um, you know, like uh, like I, I was able to speak with Coach Smutchap some uh, uh, throughout the years. Um, I know um, I had a kid that I was coaching back in Savannah um, at, at this high school that uh, that's local. Um, and he was able to get – that was – South Carolina was one of the first major uh, Power 5 schools that offered him. And um, – Coach Muschamp came down. He asked me about the kid, and you know, I gave him, you know, my spiel on the kid, and and you know, just being able to connect there. But also, he knew that, hey, man, I remember you. I remember Chad Sutton when I had my time at Florida. Like we had the game plan for number ninety because we knew that we had to block this guy. Even you know, two thousand twelve and two thousand thirteen, like we had the you know game plan to where, hey, this guy can wreck this game if we don't do something about it. So let's, uh, you know, take care of that. But, um, you know, we, we had those talks. Um, but, um, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's good that he's is welcome all the alumni back. I know when Coach Furry was there, uh, so to say, you had guys that would come around but not so much often. Like, they, they'll come around, but they wouldn't come around like the facilities like that. They'll more so say, hey, man, what y'all doing tonight? We're going to come hang out or whatever the case may be. But they wouldn't come to practice or they wouldn't come to – like every now and then they're coming on the sideline to hang out, uh, maybe for homecoming. It just all depends. But you got guys now that really, you know, that go back and, and you know, pay attention to what's going on with the program. No doubt. If you had to pick one, Chaz, what would you say was your favorite memory at South Carolina? Oh, man, I would say my favorite memory is just playing in uh, <laughs> that Saturday night when we played Georgia. I think that was uh, October 6th. October 5th, 2012, that's my favorite memory ever, man. Like, I'll never forget that. Like, just being in that moment, that was, like, just the best thing ever for me. But also, right. you know, also walking across the stage and getting a degree, that was, that was, that's that that's something that, you know, that I can always hold near and dear to my heart because I was the only kid out of my mama five that, you know, that did that, you know, hey – my son went to a big school and was able to, you know, graduate. No doubt. So last question, Chaz, before I let you go, you played with some Gamecock legends. I consider you a Gamecock legend yourself, but again, a ton of guys that South Carolina fans are familiar with. I I know you got to have some good stories from those years. What's maybe one of your favorite or maybe funniest stories that, uh, whether it be from the defensive meeting room on the field, off the field, what have you that you can tell in the airwaves. Oh man, I would say uh, being a roommate with uh, Reginald Bowen. Uh, I remember waking up one morning and I was gonna go to get breakfast and uh, I go outside and and my car is missing. So I'm, I go back inside. I'm like, I was like, Reggie, man, uh, somebody stole my car. And he just started smiling like just laughing. So I remember I played a prank on him while he was asleep the night before. Like I had, uh, like he was sleeping. I smacked some lotion in his face while he was sleeping. Then. So I leave to go get my car. He he was like, man, I don't know, man. Maybe you left it at the stadium. 
So he gave me a hint that he took my car and put a part to that stadium. But when I got to the stadium, I walked over. It was way on the other side of the stadium. And because uh, we stayed at Carolina Walk. So just, if you knew the premiere with Carolina Walk, Carolina Walk is yeah. like right directly across from the stadium. So um, I walk over there and I see my car. I open the car door and and like it smells like sour. It's, everything in there is wet. Like he took buckets of water and just wet up all my seats. And it was it was the day I was traveling back home because the coach had gave us some time off. I think we had like a week off um, in the middle of the summer. And um, I was just like, man, this is – I was like, why would this guy do this? So, like, before I left, I was like, all right. So I get back to the house. I took his bed. I wet his whole bed up. He had, like, one of these memory foam beds. So I took water, ice water, just put water all over the bed. I flipped the bed over, just tore up his whole room. And uh, not like, and Shaq was there, so Shaq he videoed and put it on uh, social media. It was funny, man. But that was like one of the funniest moments, just just having them like there or whatnot. It was just crazy. <laughs> no doubt. Well, yeah, Chess, appreciate you taking the time, man. Again, let's do it again sometime. Certainly, if you uh, if you release another book, obviously, if you publish another book, let us know. Obviously, we'll do our best to promote it as well. But yeah, if you're ever on in Columbia on campus, or uh, maybe we can come down to Savannah and make some content. But other than that, appreciate you taking the time, man. It was a pleasure. And let's, uh, let's definitely do it again sometime for sure. Love talking ball and obviously a lot of great memories to relive. Oh yeah, most definitely, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man.